Paul, Paul describes a dynamic that was plaguing man. And he, he talked about the sting of death on the human heart. And he talked about the body of death. Who shall save me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am. And what he talks about there is that the death in the world stung the hearts of human beings. And it filled their hearts with fear. Right? And they saw their body of death and they didn't want to be naked. The body of death in Romans 7 is the nakedness Adam felt in Genesis. It's the same nakedness, right? And so you see you're not clothed in life, and that stings your heart with fear, right? And when that fear manifests in your heart, you see the death. You know there's no death in God, but you see death in yourself, and so you don't think you look like God. In fact, you don't think you look anything like God. So how can God be your father if you don't look anything like him, right? And there's the serpent showing you a picture of you and showing you a picture of God. And you're like, yeah, we don't look nothing alike. I'm an orphan. I'm without a father in the earth. No one to care for my life. And you agree that the fruit of God's life is good. And so you want to be clothed in it. And so you start trying to clothe upon yourself in the fruit of God's life. But guess what? You don't have ability in your own mortal body to bring forth the fruit of God's life. So the more you try to bring forth the fruit of God's life, the more you bring forth thorns and thistles. Just like God told Adam, because you wait from that tree and your body has now been clothed in death, you're going to live by the sweat of your brow, trying to clothe yourself in life. And you're never going to bring forth life. You're going to bring forth thorns and thistles all the days of your life. That's what death does to you. So Paul, in Romans 7 and 8, he's describing how man had a spirit of fear. And that spirit of fear was taking them captive to laboring and toiling. That's what Hebrews 2 would come and talk about. We were all our days in bondage through the fear of what? Death. Death. What was the bondage? Laboring and toiling, trying to make life. Yeah. Right? But we don't have life in and of ourselves. So how are we going to bring forth life ourselves? And so it's this wicked curse. We want life, but we can never produce life. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Oh, wretched man that I am. And then Paul says, I thank God for our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath saved us through the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And he goes into talking about how God condemns sin in the flesh. What do you guys think it means for God to condemn sin in the flesh? I know what I thought I meant for the longest time, what it meant to me. I thought it meant that uh, God whooped up on Jesus. That's what I thought it meant. But if you read there, Paul goes on to say that God did what the law couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Well, didn't the law whoop up on people? Mm-hmm. Didn't the law condemn people to death? Mm-hmm. So that's not what it's talking about there. Paul said God condemned sin in the flesh. Paul had a problem. He was clothed in death. Yeah. He needed for the body of death to be put off of him. And what he says there is God come and condemned sin inside of the flesh of Jesus. That didn't happen at the cross. God condemned sin inside of the flesh of Jesus in the resurrection. Yeah. Paul says in Romans 6, what? The wages of sin is what? Death. Death. So you could just as easily insert the word death into that verse. God condemned death in the flesh when he raised Jesus from the dead. And God took vengeance on the death that manifested in the bodies of human beings when he raised Jesus from the dead, free from the sin and death that was in our bodies that came upon his body, and he raised Jesus from the dead, free from death, never to be able to die again, he says in Romans 6. Never to be able to die again. 
And so Paul says, through God, condemning sin inside of the flesh of Jesus, Jesus raised from the dead, ascends to the right hand as a human being, having inherited the very immortality of God inside of his physical body, that could pour out the spirit of Jesus into the earth. Well, on the cross, Jesus didn't have the spirit of fear. Adam had the spirit of fear, and he tried to clothe upon himself. Jesus is the last Adam. He didn't have the spirit of fear on the cross. How do we know? He didn't try to clothe upon himself, but he committed his life into the hands of the Father. How did he do that? Paul tells us in Romans 8, he had the spirit of adoption in his heart. And that spirit told him, that spirit interceded in Jesus' heart when he was on the cross. And that spirit told him, God has not abhorred you in your affliction. This death that has come upon you does not mean that God's face is hid from you. The Father will hear you when you cry out to him. Remember Psalm 16, you will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption, but you will raise him up out of the grave. And that's the spirit Jesus had, the spirit that cries out to Abba when he sees death. There's a spirit that's in God, that when it encounters death, it will cry out to the Father. Jesus had that spirit. And Jesus cried out to the Father when he took death into himself. Mm -hmm. And then he ascended to the right hand of God by the the hand of the Father. That Holy Spirit got poured out into the earth. The spirit of adoption. The spirit that cries out, Abba. The spirit that cries out, Abba. Paul goes on to say that when we encounter tribulation in the earth, the Holy Spirit intercedes in our hearts. That's why he says with groanings that can't be uttered. It intercedes in our hearts, and it reminds us that we're not orphans, that we're not sheep being led away to the slaughter. That death is not a sign that God isn't with us. That death is not a sign that he's forsaken us. That death is not a sign that he despises us. But we see in the Lord Jesus that God is with us, even should there be death present, even should death come upon us, we know God is with us. And that's why Paul would go on to say, how can the tribulation in the world work condemnation in my heart ever again? How could the famine and the peril and the sword and the shipwreck and all the things that can go wrong, how can any of those things ever work condemnation in my heart again? Because I see that God has come in Christ and condemned the death that was condemning me. Yes. And so where the death in the world used to be able to tell me, where's your God? If you're really his child, where is he? Let him come for you if he'll have you. The death used to be able to tell me that. It can't tell me that no more because I see God drew near to me in the man Christ Jesus and he condemned the death that was always condemning me. Amen. Condemnation never came from God. Neither is that what Romans 8 says. It's not that God was condemning us and then he condemned Jesus and now he don't condemn us no more. It's that death was condemning us. Paul says right before in chapter 7, this body of death makes me feel like, oh, wretched man that I am. He didn't say God made him feel like that. And so the condemnation we're set free from in Jesus is the condemnation that death brought to us. And that death told us we're orphans. And we don't have a father. We don't have anyone to care for us. We're all alone in the cold, heartless, little world. (laughs) With no one who loves us. Right? And God, God saw the people that I love. They think that I despise them. I'm the only one that can actually save them. Mm-hmm. But they won't come to me that I might save them. Yes. So I've got to get it right to condemn the thing that is condemning them. 
so that they can see I'm with them when they're thinking I'm not with them. So I'm going to show up and I'm going to bully the death that's bullying them. Come on. I'm going to show up as their David. Yes. And I'm going to conquer their giant. I'm going to sever the head of the death that is their Goliath. Yes. And when they see me condemn sin, condemn death in the flesh of Jesus, when I raise Jesus from the dead, Jesus is the son of man. Guess what we all are? Sons of man. Well, we see how God will be with the son of man in Jesus. What did he do with Jesus? Raised him from the dead, sat him at his right hand. Condemning death. And now we see, when I see death now, I got to be honest, I, I haven't believed, I haven't even thought that God wasn't with me in 10 years. And I've encountered some hell. And I got to be honest, it ain't because I'm some super Christian. It ain't because I'm a faithful guy. It's because I see that God is faithful. Yeah. And that God has always been faithful. And I see actually what he's done. And I see that it was always death condemning me and not him. And now when death comes knocking on my door, which I don't know if you guys realize, there's still death in the earth. Yeah. It still comes knocking on your door whether you believe in Jesus or not. And when that death comes knocking on the door... It no longer speaks a word to me. It no longer has any power to tell me God isn't with me. Because I see that God drew near to me in Jesus and destroyed death. Yes. And so that death comes and tells me, where's your God now? You want to know where my God is? He manifested inside a human flesh and is seated at the right hand of God. That's where my God is. Right? And that secures my heart. It comforts me in the midst of temptation. Do you guys know what temptation is? Temptation is not you being tempted to go do a bad thing. By the time you want to go do the bad thing, you already succumb to the temptation. This says the temptation common to man. We'll just use this example. It says Jesus was tempted in every way we were tempted. Right? Well, most of us would define temptation. I'm a man. We'll use men for an example. Tempted to lay with a woman. How many of you think Jesus was tempted to lay with a woman? If we think that's what temptation is. How many of us think that? Because Jesus said if you thought it in your head, you already did it. So if Jesus was tempted every way we were, but we want to define temptation by the fruit of the flesh that we feel compelled to do, how does that jive with Jesus? Obviously, he never thought of laying with the woman. Otherwise, he would have been a sinner. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what is temptation? We walk through this world. Paul says we're not ignorant of the devices of the serpent. And I just got to be honest, guys. I've been saved and filled with the Holy Spirit since I was three years old. My mom wrote a program called Life in the Spirit Seminar. And she got the whole neighborhood full of kids filled with the Holy Spirit. And we're walking around practicing the gifts of the Spirit. But my whole life, I was ignorant to the devices of the serpent. I was a Christian for 30-something years, and I still had no idea how the devil tries to tempt me. And you know how the devil tries to tempt you? He tries to tempt you by pointing at the death in the world and telling you you're separated from what you need to have life. Mm -hmm. Because if he can convince you you're separated from what you need to have life, guess what he's going to get you to do? Pick up your own life. The moment you try to pick up your own life, Guess what you don't have the ability to do? Bring forth life. What you think is coming next. The works of the flesh. Jesus said that the prince of this world is going to come to me, but he won't have anything in me. That's good. Why didn't he have anything in Jesus? 
Why didn't death have anything in Jesus? Because the Father was in Jesus and Jesus was in the Father. Like I said last night, Jesus also said, the hour is going to come where everybody's going to scatter for me and everyone's going to think I'm alone, but I won't be alone because the Father will be with me. Amen. And so when the serpent came to Jesus and pointed at the body of death that was, he was clothed in on the cross, and he used that body of death to tempt Jesus to come down off the cross, the serpent's temptation had nothing in Jesus because Jesus said, my life is not held in this world. My life has come from above. And Jesus started remembering the life that he shared with the Father from the beginning. The life that entered into the earth when God said, let there be light. When there was darkness and chaos upon the face of the deep. And that life entered into the earth and it brought forth order out of the midst of chaos. And it separated the darkness. And it brought forth life in everything. And when Jesus was nailed to that cross and the serpent came and pointed at that death and said, look at that death. What are you going to do? Jesus said, my life is not found in this perishable body, but my life is found in Abba. And the life that Abba has isn't at the mercy of death. In fact, the life that Abba has, it swallows death. It consumes death. And it will even eradicate the death that's come upon this body and bring forth a body with no death in it that can never die again. That's why Satan had nothing in Jesus. Because he knew he had an incorruptible life. What brought forth Jesus out of Mary? The Holy Spirit. <coughs> Do you guys know what the Holy Spirit is? The incorruptible seed of God's life. And so Jesus, his life, came forth as an incorruptible seed. Why do you think his life can be an incorruptible seed for us? Because he has an incorruptible life. And so when Satan pointed at the death, when he was in the Pharisees pointing at Jesus' body of death, Jesus knew he had a treasure in that earthen vessel. You may see my earthen vessel looking like dust, but my life is of a heavenly substance. And that life will swallow even the death of this cross. And so why am I going to take up my own life? I and the Father are one. Right? That's how Satan tempts all of us. He tempts all of us to pick up our own life. The way he uses, the, the thing he uses is the death and the tribulation in the world to point at. You don't have what you need for life. In fact, that's what he told Eve in the garden, isn't it? Yeah. Came and told Eve she didn't have everything she needed for life and God-likeness. And he also convinced her that God wasn't as he ought to be, as the one that would give it to her. Has God really told you you can't eat from every tree? That's lame. He can't be a good father. He's holding out on you. He's not giving you everything you need. You see how Satan slandered the name of God to Eve? And he told her she didn't have what she needed for life. It's the same thing he did to Jesus on the cross. He didn't just tell Jesus that he was separated from what he needed to have life. He told Jesus the father was not as the father ought to be. Here you are nailed to the cross. If the Father is righteous as the Father, where is He? You can't count on Him. Look at you. Look where you're left. It's on you, man. You see how that works? That's temptation. That's why temptation was crucified at the cross. <laughs> right? And that's what we see happen at the cross. Where Jesus enters into our dying bodies. And he hears the same accusations we all heard, right? Which is, you're not the son. 
You're not the daughter of God. God isn't your father. Look at where you're at. Look at the death. Look at everything that's going on. How can those things be true? Jesus entered into that dying body on the cross, and he believed that the Father was with him. And he didn't believe that the Father had abandoned him. And in that place, he committed his life into the hands of the Father. And he nailed temptation to the cross. And he brought the temptation the devil used against us. And he brought it into the grave and left it there. Right? Because he took the death that was the tool that the serpent used to tempt us. What does the author of Hebrews say in Hebrews chapter 2? That we were all our days in bondage through the fear of death. Who does he say had the power of death? The devil. And so the devil was able to take us captive by the death that he got Adam to bring into the earth. And he was able to use that death to accuse us and accuse God. He didn't just come and accuse us of not being the sons and daughters. He accused God of not being a good father. And if you don't have a good father and you don't have life, well, you better get busy working to have it. And so Jesus brought the death the serpent used to tempt us into the grave. And he left it there. He left it there. And so now we see the truth. So when Satan comes and point, I mean, listen, I don't like the stuff I see in the world. I'm just being honest. Do you know who's the one pointing at all the darkness in the world? I promise you, God ain't come and sat next to you and told you, look how horrible the darkness is. I promise you, that's not the Father coming and saying, what are we going to do about the darkness? That's not the voice of the Father. That's the voice of the serpent. And so I see a lot of darkness in the earth. And I don't like it. And I hear the voice of the accuser pointing at the darkness, telling me, I don't have what I need for life and godlikeness. You don't have what you need, Greg. Look at what's happening. What are you going to do? But do you know what? When I see the death he points at, I don't see the death as growing. I don't see it as strong. I don't see it as a living, vibrant thing. I see it as perishing. I see that Jesus brought the death that I see in the world that bothers me. I see he brought it into the grave. And I see that he put death on death row. Yes. Death is not living. It's on death row. It's passing away. It's perishing. It doesn't have life. Death does not have eternal life. Do you know who does have eternal life? Has everybody in here believed on the testimony that God's given in Jesus? Do you know who all has eternal life in here then? All of us. And so when we see the death in the earth, we don't hide under a rock and act like it's not there. But let us not look at that death as if death is a giant. Let us see that the death has been decapitated by our David who is God. Yes. And let us see that we have a life that overcomes death. Let see it. Right? Yes. Let us see. Yes. And let us recognize that the accuser is the one telling us, what about this death? Yeah. You know what God would be saying? What about my life? Yeah. What about my life? <laughs> I remember when I was lamenting over something in this world with God. I'm an intense guy. I lament a lot. <laughs> this isn't the kind of thing where when you figure out the truth, you don't lament no more. It's that when you lament, you connect with the Father. I was lamenting with God about something I didn't have. And something that I thought was in the way of me experiencing the life I know he made me for. And you know what God come and said to me? Greg, do you have me? Yes. Well, Greg, doesn't that mean you have everything? But I don't, I, 
But, the, uh, but, uh, how can I argue that if I have God, I have everything? How can I argue? Do you know why? Because in God, there's a life that makes everything that got crooked straight. In God, there's a life that swallows death and leaves no remnant of death anywhere. In God, there's a life that isn't overcome by chaos, but even brings forth order out of the midst of chaos. The life of God is so strong. We thought death was so strong. We thought it was like the baddest dude that ever lived. We're like, man, that death. Nobody can beat death. That's a giant that none of us could take out. We're all filled with fear and shame at the sign of death. And God saw what we thought about death. And you know what he did? He set up an experiment for us. He said, we're going to take this death that our people thinks is so strong. And we're going to let it come upon us. We're going to come in a skin suit. And we're going to let the death that they're so afraid of, we're going to let it come upon us. We're going to let it manifest in our bodies to the point that we mangled, we marred. We ain't even looking like a human no more. And then what we're going to do is we're going to flex out. We're going to hulk out inside of that body of death with the power of our life. And we're going to swallow that death out of that body and leave a body that has no death in it anymore. And then our people will see that the death in this world is a light affliction in comparison to the glory of God. Yes. Right? And that's why it says that Jesus' heart disesteemed the shame of the cross. It says for the glory that was set before him. Yeah. And the author of Hebrews points to Jesus, looking unto Jesus, the beginning and the end of the faith that we're busy with. Because that faith will cause us to endure in the midst of the tribulation in this world. Because we see the same glory set before us that Jesus saw. And it says that Jesus saw the glory that was set before him. That the Father wouldn't suffer the corruption of the cross to overcome his life. But the Father would raise him up out of the grave. Neither will you leave my soul in hell, he says. That's the spirit of the Son in David. That's the Christ. And so Jesus saw the life that he shared with the Father. And he saw what that life looked like in comparison to the death that came upon him. And you know what that life did? That he saw that he had with the Father? It shrunk the death. And the death was like, boom. What? Like Goliath. What? What you gonna do? And Jesus saw that death. And then he saw the life that he shared with the Father from the beginning. And he started remembering what that life did in Genesis. And how it holds all things together. And how it brought forth all life. And how it separated the darkness. And he saw the darkness upon his body. And he said, the life that the Father has in himself, that life is in me. And that life is going to separate the darkness from my body. Oh my goodness. And then it shrunk the death down to a little tiny small nothing. And light affliction. Little bitty devil. A little bitty nothing. And so... Man, that same life is in us. Yeah. It says that God has brought us forth from an incorruptible seed, the word of truth. He says that God got it right to liberate our lives from this world. Our life is no longer but dust. Our life is no longer held in the world. You know the best shot the world can take against you? It already took it against you in the person of Jesus. That's why Paul would come and say we're dead to the world. That's why in Colossians 3, he would come and say, set your affection above, for your life is hid with God in Christ. He said, you're already dead. We're so worried about what the world can do to us. The world already gave you everything it got in Jesus on the cross. Yes. In the life you have in Christ, overcame already. 
Oh, hallelujah. And now you start walking around like a man possessed by the life of God. And you start knowing the dunamis that came upon the apostles in the letter of Acts. And you start seeing why they were filled with boldness. And you start seeing why that in the face of certain death, the, the early church fathers said that apostles sneered at death. Yeah. They laughed at it. Do you know why? Because they saw the light. And the light disesteemed the darkness. Right? And they began walking around witnesses. Witnesses of what? A life that overcomes death. Even in the flesh. You want to tell me about the death manifested in my body? Let me tell you about the body of the Lord Jesus because I'm one body with him. That's right. I'm not one with the corruption and the death in this world. I'm not one with the calamity in this world. I'm not one with all the things going wrong in this world. I'm one flesh with God yeah. through the body of Jesus. You guys are all part of the body. That means you're one flesh with God. Yes. Now, what kind of a life does God have? Whose life do you have? Because I promise you, the world is always trying to tell you the life you have is born from this. And God's already trying to tell you, listen, you remember the whole born again thing you guys have all been busy with all these years? That's what he said to me. Greg, hey, remember? Born again? You know what it means? Born from above? Do you know what that means? It means I brought forth your life. The earth, the world, is not the father of your life. God is the father of your life. And when so you look for the testimony of your life, you don't look in the world and look at all the things you see going on around you. You don't look at the circumstances in the world. You don't look at the things going on in the world. But rather, if your life has come from God and you want to know what kind of a life you have, you look at God. And I promise you, when you look at God and you see your life in God, it will always tell you this one thing. You know what it will always tell you if you behold your life in God? I don't care if you're nailed to a tree. Do you know what you'll hear? You'll hear your life is very good. <laughs> that's what it means to live by the knowledge of the Son of God and not the knowledge of good and evil. Do you know what the knowledge of good and evil is? It's good to have life. It's evil not to have life. Guess what happens if you live by that knowledge in the earth? You're always looking at your life. You're always looking at what you have or don't have. You're always looking at what's going on around you to determine whether your life is good or your life is evil. That's right. Do you know what the world will always tell you? One thing you lack for you to have a good life. You're missing just one thing. And if you could just fix that, if you could just change it, then you could have life. One thing, when you behold, when you live by the knowledge of the Son of God, the knowledge that your life is hid in Him, do you know what you'll always hear when you see Jesus and you see your life in Jesus? You'll always hear, my life is very good. And what will happen is, is your eye won't be filled with darkness. Yeah. Let your eye be single, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where is our treasure, man? It is not here. Our treasure is there. And as I see my life hidden Jesus, my eye becomes single. And how great will the light be that my body is animated with when I see my life in Jesus? Great indeed. Do you know how great the darkness will be that will animate me if I behold my life here? Mm-hmm. Huh. <sighs> See, that's the difference between the spirit of fear and the spirit of adoption. Does that make any sense? They were witnesses of a life that overcomes death. That's why it's called the perfect law of liberty. 
What do you think he liberated you from? Death. What do you think tormented us so much? Death. Why did Paul say he was crucified with Christ? And then say he's dead to the world and the world to him. What was he talking about? And so, man, the perfect law of liberty is how God got it right to liberate your life from being held by this world. And how he got it right to hide your life in him through Jesus. With him through Jesus. And now, we behold our lives in the face of Jesus as if we're looking in a mirror. And so when I see the death in the world, I see I have a life that overcomes death. I see that my life can't be overcome by death. My life can't be overcome by what goes on in the world. It can't. And then I become a witness in the world. And I become a sweet savor. That's how you're the salt and the light in the earth. Do you know what salt does? It's a preservative. It preserves things from decay and from going rotten. And do you know how the church is supposed to be the salt in the earth? When everybody in the earth is freaking out about all the corruption and all the COVID and all the things going wrong, the church salts the earth by being witnesses that God has preserved us from the death in the world. Hallelujah. Amen. And that's how you salt the world. Yeah. The way the church is the life of the earth is it declares the life of God in the earth, a life that conquers death. The world is freaking out about death. And listen, brothers and sisters, if we as the church are also freaking out, we ain't salt and light nothing. Yes. We just like the world. And that's why judgment must first come to the church. And judgment ain't a bad thing. Judgment's not like, oh, judgment just means the declaration of a truth. And I think the church has forgotten their first love. And I speak of myself. I'm the church. I love the church. I don't do this for my own good. I made a lot more money before I started a church. I love the church. I love the people. And I see what God done to conquer death. And that's how the church will be the salt and the light in the earth. That's the hope, you see? You ain't even got to go out and try to evangelize. When you're not touched and moved by the calamity going on around you, the people around you start to take notice. Why aren't they freaked out? Mm -hmm. And they're going to ask you, how come you're full of peace? How come you're full of joy? Well, let me tell you about the God that can even overcome death in the flesh. Let me tell you about what God did. You don't want to see the earth be destroyed? You don't want to see corruption overcome the earth? Neither does God. So let me tell you what he done through this man Jesus to separate the earth from being joined to death and reconcile it back to him in his eternal life. And let me tell you about the certainty we have that we're going to inherit this earth. And we ain't going to inherit an earth that's got darkness in it where we need to now remove the darkness. We're going to inherit an earth where God has anointed the Christ to separate the darkness from the earth just like the Christ separated the darkness from creation in Genesis. And now you start declaring to them that which they've always wanted. Everybody wants a life that can't be harmed. That's what everybody wants. Everybody wants to be in a world with no corruption. And every time we don't see it, we freak out. And then not only do we freak out, we scapegoat the thing that we think is in the way. Yeah. And I hate to break it to you, brothers and sisters. Normally, we scapegoat people. Right? We ain't created to ever see death. And so the moment we see it, we're trying to figure out where's the source. And then we scapegoat what we think is the source. And then we fight with what we think is the source. And then we're filled with envy and strife and vainglory and all these kinds of things. 
But it ought not be so with the body of Christ. We ought to be filled with peace and love and joy and patience and meekness. You know what meekness means? It means to think little of your ability to bring forth life and to think much of God's ability to bring forth life. You know what it means to be poor in spirit? That when you see the, the death in the earth and you find a strong desire for life, that you commit your desire for life into the hands of the Father. Because you see what He's done to give you a certainty of life. We're going to inherit the earth, guys. And we're going to inherit an earth, earth where there's no death or darkness anywhere. Anywhere. I told this to the people the other day. This is a profound statement. We've been talking about it. We've inherited God. We've inherited God. And you guys look kind of like me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We inherited God. I don't think we realize what that means. We've inherited God. Mm. Not part of God. Not some of God. All of God is inside of each one of us right now. And we're busy worrying about some COVID. We're worrying about what's happening in the world. But God is in us. And God is trying to remind us, hey guys, hey guys, here I am. Here I am. Remember me? The God that raises the dead? <laughs> what did Abraham say? He didn't consider the deadness in his body or the deadness in Sarah's womb. But he considered who? The God who can even raise the dead, he said. When he saw the death all around him, he said, God will provide himself a lamb to remove the death that's reigning over me. God is going to come and sup inside of my house, my body. He's going to make my body his temple. He's going to dwell in me. He's going to hulk out inside of me. He's going to flex his life inside of my body and death is going to pass over me. Hallelujah. Amen. Right? Amen. The, the fruit of everything we desire comes from the incorruptible life that manifested in Jesus. Everything we want is found in that. Everything that can nourish your life is found in that. And God keeps trying to show it to us. I remember I was lamenting with God about the unbelief I thought was in my life. <laughs> Lord. I've spent literally like six months talking about this unbelief. I just can't get rid of this one. Lord, Lord help my unbelief. Lord, Lord, help my unbelief. I did it every day for like six months. One day God said to me, Hey, Greg, have you considered the resurrection lately? <laughs> you see, I was all the time thinking about a life that's perishable instead of thinking about the life that's imperishable. And that's what was tormenting me. I was all the time thinking about a life that was fragile, that was just dust. But I don't have a dust life. So why is my conversation centered around the dust life? Why is everything I'm talking about and thinking born from a life that's perishable? Why aren't my thoughts born from above where I'm a citizen of a heavenly country? In the heavenly country I'm a citizen of, there's a life there that can't die. I'm under the, the, the reign of the government that's upon Jesus' shoulder. And it's the reign of an indestructible life. How many of you are worried about the taxes in Germany? How many of you even know what they are? Nobody, huh? Why not? Why don't we know and why aren't we worried? We ain't citizens there. Where's our citizenship, guys? And what kind of a life is there there? And let our conversation be centered around the life that reigns in the land that we're citizens of. 
Because what will happen is, is we'll start opening heaven. When we start declaring the life that's in the land that we're citizens of. Amen. What it will do is it will bind the death in the earth in people's hearts. Yes. When you declare a life that overcomes death, that's what it means to open up the heaven to people. You bind the strong man. The serpent is the strong man. His weapon is death. And now I come declaring a life that overcomes death. And that binds the strong man in people's hearts. <laughs> that's what it means that's why Jesus said and the gates of hell will cannot stand against the revelation of God inside of human flesh death cannot keep a human in the grave that's filled with the incorruptible life of God right well Jesus said you're pieces of the rock Who's Guys, our lives have been built upon the rock that is God. Right? Does that make any sense? Yes. How long have I been going? Should I preach the message still? Yeah, you're going to preach the message still. Okay. <laughs> and then you'll pray before you start preaching again. No, I'm only messing with you. <laughs> See, Greg do this all the time. He will uh, be doing his announcements. And in the middle of his announcement, he will go off and start preaching. It is good. So this is good, Craig. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you guys for coming. Really. Thank you guys for coming. That was just a trailer. Yeah, that was just a trailer. That had nothing to do with what I was going to talk about. Yeah.